You're listening to the Product Podcast from Product School, featuring the best product leaders from Silicon Valley and beyond. If you're an aspiring product manager looking for your first PM role, or an experienced PM looking to level up your skills and advance your career, visit productschool.com to learn about our certifications and how we'll get you there. This episode is brought to you by Amplitude, the pioneer in digital optimization software that helps product leaders answer the question, how do our digital products drive our business? 1,400 plus customers, including Atlassian, Instacart, and Under Armour, rely on Amplitude's product analytics. Get started at Amplitude.com. Today, we're happy to welcome a top-notch group of product people to share what it really takes to make the most out of your data. Stay tuned to learn this and more from our panel of data pros from Amazon, Quantum Metric, Product School, and Insight Software. Hello, everybody. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here and thrilled to be talking to this excellent panel. So just to get started, how about each of you, why don't you introduce yourselves, tell us where you're working, what products you're building on, and I am curious, what is your particular level of expertise with data and how do you currently work with your analytic teams? Do you want to start? I can go. Uh, so my name is Karthik Chandrayan. I'm the Chief Product Officer of Quantum Metric. Uh, some of you might not be familiar with Quantum. So what we do is, if you have a mobile app or a website of any kind, you have an application, you're designing it for your users, we help you figure out why your users are not completing their tasks and how can you have them do more. And the task could be like buying an item on Walmart. It could be signing up for Chase Bank. It could be like why your marketing leads are not converting. So we serve a lot of different industries and a lot of different personas. And we do it all with data. So that's what Quantum does. Uh, I am an engineer by training. I spent a lot of time in data. I have a PhD in computer science. Uh, So... These days, I just uh, sift on insights and analytics, not so much data science, but uh, yeah, quite familiar with it. So Rachel Larson, I'm obviously from product school, and we're building some really great stuff at product school. We just launched some new certification exams for product managers to become certified, and a course specifically for senior product managers. Um, In the, the data world, I think I fall pretty heavy into the the technical space as a PM, but it came almost as an accident. We were troubleshooting a vendor software and digging into stored procedures, and there was no one else to do it. And so I kind of just figured it out and started learning, and it it progressed a lot from there. And uh, I'm Seth Hutchison. I'm a senior product manager with Insight Software, specifically operating within our cloud and integration space. So in terms of things that we're working on right now, we're doing a lot of cool cloud connectivity to de-silo data. So instead of combining disparate data sources from different data stores, we're trying to unlock insight between different softwares in our portfolio. So you can share data between them. So your HR and your financial products can actually communicate and share those insights. Uh, as far as the technicality goes with data, uh, I started with engineering and computer science. I did integration engineers on a business intelligence tool for quite a few years before moving into products. So. I like to get my hands dirty with that, and I'm pretty hands-on with it. Love it. Perfect. Yeah, and definitely in my own experience as a data professional, like you get to work with a whole variety of different product leaders. Like some people are like 
give me the data, I can write SQL, I am completely self-sufficient, and other people are more like, show me some dashboards, give me some insights. And I think that every way can work. So I know that we're supposed to talk about misconceptions and mistakes, but let's start on a positive note. Why don't each of you start by telling me one great example that you have where working with analytics really helped you as a product leader? And maybe let's start from the other end with Seth. Okay, go first. I'm honored. Thank you. <laughs> um, so this is kind of a throwback. I was thinking immediately about some of the bigger, really cool, flashy things I've ever done. And I actually think back to the first time we used analytics internally. Granted, we worked for a business intelligence tool, so using analytics was pretty easy. It's what we did. Um, but we actually built a custom field in our Jira instance where we were able to tag what area of the application this defect or this story or the support ticket touched on. And what that allowed us to do was report on our application health across the entire spectrum. So instead of seeing how many defects we had opened and then closed in a release, we could see how many defects were opened on permissioning or user management or multi-tenancy. And what this enabled us to do was be a lot more proactive when it came to engaging different areas of the platform, triaging uh, across different teams by saying, hey, you know, 80% of our defects were on our filters. Last time we had a release, maybe we need to do an RCA on how did that happen? Was it a change that we had put in place? Was it a defect we fixed that broke more things? And so those analytics really allowed us to not just provide value or insight to executive leadership or in board meetings, but it allowed us to open up the, the hood, so to speak, across all of our teams to really know what we were doing wrong or where the health of our application went. My favorite thing about analytics is when it tells you what not to do. So when I was at Western Governors University and managing their mobile applications, we were rewriting. So we were taking our iOS app from Objective-C over to Swift, going from Java to Kotlin, and we were able to look at the usage of the individual features and decide, you know, based on what people are using, what's, what do we cut? And it can be controversial sometimes. There's some people who love specific features, but when the data is there and can show you that it's, it's not what they're there for, that's not what they're using it for, it helped me say no to a few things and save some development time. So I'm going to go back to my previous job and, and talk about like how we use data, uh, because otherwise I just look like I'm selling quantum all the time. <laughs> so uh, I was at Salesforce and one of the product lines I was running was on observability. And we were collecting a lot of metrics, a lot of logs coming in to our systems like in petabytes per day. And, you know, we looked at the data to understand how people were using it. And we figured out that, you know, maybe 10% of the data was being used. The rest was never even queried. So, and the storage was very expensive. Our queries were timing out because our indexers were running across all of this data. So everything was just bad. So we just took that analytics information, did a cut of the data, the data which we were not using. We threw it out on AWS S3 so that, you know, you can query it later when you wanted it. And then we're just looking at the most pertinent data and, you know, everything just improved. The cost improved, the user experience improved, the query performance improved. So that was a great win with analytics, with data. Love it. Hey, like that example, Rachel, in particular, around data to decide what not to do and how to handle controversial decisions because it is such a, it's a great tool for depersonalizing difficult decisions. Um, touching upon some of the things we talked about here, how do you go kind of from zero to one? Like as a product leader, when you want to start being more data informed in how you make your decisions, what are some of the building blocks to get started? 
so for me getting started is more important in the building blocks just put a hypothesis out there some of the questions which you want and some of the data to begin with is very obvious data like like start simple start somewhere and like otherwise you just run into this analysis paralysis kind of a thing which i've seen with data and then just be honest to yourself through those iterations that uh you will get to a better place so so just get started with like the things which look simple the things which look obvious there's a lot of value in that yeah i feel pretty similar on that so i'm a big fan of the north star metric so i start with what's the purpose of this product what is it actually trying to accomplish what's the outcome even beyond what i might be thinking what's the next step what's the impact what's the behavior change and how do i break that down to measure that from there i can find the inputting metrics that met those ones that matter and pull into it and that's where i start focusing the things that are on the side can be so distracting um so really just creating that focus and that that laser mission towards what we're really trying to accomplish yeah and to add to that i would kind of have when you think about the building blocks which you want to look at first one of the things i've always found really helpful is the target audience of the analytics who it's for what they're trying to get out of it and the value you're providing so whether it's something that you're using in house maybe you want to look at application health maybe it's something that you want to provide to users to enhance existing workflows sometimes being able to slice it into who the intended personas are for your analytics allows you to go into now what are the things we want to get out of it what are the metrics we want to look at and help facilitate some of that conversation so that's where i always try to start of you know who is it actually for who are we giving value to love it knowing your audience and simplicity north star metrics can we make it a little bit more concrete for the audience do you all have any good examples of how you have set a north star metric for your business or your product well i guess i should offer mine up right show show our champagne drinking so at product school our objective isn't just to train product managers it's to help product managers build amazing products and progress their career so our ultimate north star is are they getting promotions are they getting increases in salary how do we measure that and know that those are happening and then from there we can break that down where where i work with the education team is that training being successful and helping them prepare and we can measure the different items there to to ensure that we're teaching the things that that actually matter yeah uh i think one that's been important for me and granted we were selling software so it's a little bit nuanced to that but is what we you know we would refer to as take rate So whenever we'd put out a release, how many customers actually take it? And we were able to split that into whether it was in QA or testing or dev, whatever you want to call it, or if it was in production. And so one of the things that we would do with that is really check are we releasing things that have value to our customers? Now granted, you have to take that with a grain of salt. We all know there are customers who only upgrade once a year if they're lucky, uh or might take uh you know they do it every single time. And so we would use that to say are we releasing things of value if we're seeing drop off in adoption for what we're releasing maybe our roadmap is wrong maybe we need to reconsider and so a lot of the times user adoption and take rate was something that we would use a lot to drive what we were doing okay so i'll explain what quantum does and then i'll get to my answer so one of the thing which quantum does is like when you're building a product the product is never done you're finding and fixing things you're experimenting you're optimizing you're doing all of this and at quantum we help you prioritize all of these things with data in terms of what's the impact of if i were to take this action and you can take that action on a find and fix or an optimize or anything so 
and we call of this all of this is what we internally call as continuous product design so my north star is to be the best application on quantum like quantum on quantum is is basically my north star that you know as a product manager as a product leader i'm using my product to help make the things which i want my customers to be doing and i want to be the absolute best at that awesome and let's take a little bit deeper on this idea of simplicity and somebody mentioned earlier analysis paralysis what are the what are the clues that that is happening i mean we have more data than ever it is so tempting to want to dive deep and find those insights but how do you know when you have enough information to make a decision so i i can go on this like this has been my personal journey like 5 7 years ago uh i was working on my startup and what we were trying to do was make mobile apps fast and we just we would take like a walmart app and try to figure out how do i make a walmart app fast and for 6 months we threw in all kinds of data science on it and we built features we built models but you know every and then we would take that walmart information and try to apply it to some other application and you know it was a garbage in garbage out kind of a process nothing was working and one of the things which i realized and my co-founder realized was that we were asking very broad questions of the data and we needed to get a little bit more precise so you know when we started asking questions like how do i make apis which are less than 10 kilobyte go faster on an at&t's lt network on an iphone now i was getting some repeatable repeatable insights and models which i can deploy everywhere so you know when my my answer to this is like analysis paralysis or like how do you get stuck when you're getting like garbage answers you know you're looking at probably like too much data you're not asking the right questions yeah i was going to dig into that too when when you're filling that analysis paralysis you keep getting more questions and more questions and more questions and you don't have any answers along the way and so when i've been in that situation i found the exact same thing that that i'm not asking the right question and so by taking a step back taking a step higher and trying to look outside of where your individual question lives can help give you that context to it i feel like i'm the outlier here uh for me it, it's more about the i'd say like quality and content of the data the necessary sheer volume i'm a huge fan of telemetry if i could put stats on everything i do i would and i think one of the things around that is if you think about to one of our earlier questions the answers for the questions you want to ask do you have the data to help support it and i'm not looking for confirmation bias but if you were to run queries do you actually have relevant data points for what you want to ask it i mean if you think about putting garbage in do you have anything that isn't garbage to that you want to use and i think that's one of the biggest things is making sure that your data is in a point where you can actively use it there's a lot of times people keep information just for the sake of having it and you could have terabytes of information that don't matter at all so for me i always go with quality first i like sanitizing data and getting rid of stuff we don't need this episode is brought to you by amplitude the pioneer in digital optimization software that helps product leaders innovate faster and smarter by answering the strategic question How do our digital products drive our business? 1400 plus customers like Atlassian, Instacart, and Under Armour rely on Amplitude's best-in-class product analytics solution to unlock insights, build winning products faster, and turn products into revenue. Get started at amplitude.com. Yeah, no, all great points. I mean, 
for me, with my team, something that I always encourage uh, analysts to say is to talk with their product leaders and say, what do you want to do with this data? What is it for? And have a really clear idea of it. And sometimes we need data to make a decision. Sometimes we just want to make sure that a really bad case scenario doesn't happen. And those are very different. Um, and sometimes I think also it's important to realize that data is one of many tools. It's not the end-all, be-all. And I do think that the the instinct and knowledge of a product manager is also really valuable. And so, you know, I like to think that as data professionals, we present data, we help you get answers, but at the end of the day, you know your customer and you have your intuition and you know what level of risk you're willing to take. And there's ways to mitigate that. Yeah, can I add, like, I really wanted to add something to what you said. So as a product manager, when I'm building a new product or a new feature, most of the time the data I'm looking for that is not there. It's very imperfect data and, and you have to go with your intuition, you have to go with making some hypothesis and then just validating them on the path. When I'm dealing with like products which have been out in the market, yes, I can absolutely make much, much more precise decisions with data. So I think context matters a lot in, in terms of like how and where you're using the data. Absolutely. All right. So you were promised hard-hitting questions. So here we go. Tell us, what in your mind is the biggest misconception about data that you see among product leaders or even better, if you have a data horror story to share with the audience? So I'm trying to think of how to politically phrase this. Uh, but I would say that there's a lot of new product leaders that won't think critically about the insight that they see. One of the examples that I could give is everybody's favorite of like team velocity and sprint execution. What percentage of what you plan do you actually finish and commit? And a lot of times people will look at, you know, we routinely hit 70% of our sprint and that's a problem. And they say, oh, it's engineering's fault. They need to go figure it out. But they don't realize that as product people, we're in the middle of a lot of teams and we have the unique perspective of being in the center of all of this. So when you think about developers having an issue, you need to think critically about why is that issue actually there? Maybe the stories aren't refined enough. Maybe your grooming needs assistance. Maybe you're just trying to take on too much and you need to talk to them and say, hey, let's be more conservative. And a lot of times people take the analysis that you get and the outcome of your queries and your data as fact. And they don't think there's anything they can do about it. They just see a trend and say, that's the trend. But as product leaders, we're really in a unique position to push that change out there. And if you see trends in your data for your teams that you don't like, go fix it. I think there's too much complacency with people just accepting what they get. I don't have a data horror story. I don't think I ever want one. So I'm pretty lucky there, but... The biggest mistake I see, we talk a lot about confirmation bias, and I think there's a lot of PMs that are aware of that, but they don't take it a step further to look for the data to prove their hypothesis false. So they try to make sure that they are, they're not putting their biases in, but they're not actually looking for those exceptions that prove the opposite true. And so they'll kind of cherry pick the one piece that fits the narrative and the story that I want, but I'm not positive that's what always happens. And I don't understand those examples where that's not true. Yeah, so... I, I agree with, like, Rachel, your point. I'm going to build upon that. So for me, I think we just quickly try to generalize the insights which we have from data without taking into the context of the sample size. So, like, if you want to get me riled up, start comparing Danish education to U.S. education. 
sample set of 7 million compared to like a sample set of 300 million. I mean, there are two orders of magnitude difference over here. Everything from a data perspective just breaks. So, you know, I, I think use data wisely and, and be very curious about the boundaries of your insights. Agreed. Absolutely. And it's interesting because I think, you know, data professionals are also part of creating these challenges. I mean, I know that we struggle with confirmation bias as well. I see teams where we're just analyzing the outcome of an experiment and we're disappointed that it's not looking good because we saw all the work that went into the feature. We thought it was wonderful. It's going to be great. And so we have to train ourselves. We need to train our product managers. And really, I think we need to build cultures of companies that value learning over just straight like success and being right. So, but it's a journey. It's a practice. Um, well, let's do one last question before we switch to the Q&A questions. And I see some have come in. So why don't each of you give the audience one tip from your experience for how to work with your analytic teams or use data to make better decisions? I'll go first. I'll jump in. So as a product manager, I need to understand what success looks like for my feature, for my product, and how I plan on measuring that. I found that even just by communicating that with a developer, here's what I'm expecting the product to do. Here's what I'm thinking about how we might measure that. What do you recommend? And starting that out, before we talk about architecture, before we talk about APIs, let's talk about how we want to measure things. And then that will play a big role into having the ability to. Because sometimes if you come to the after the fact with that conversation, it can be hard to engineer and create the ability to measure those things. Yeah, uh, I would actually add on to that a little bit that, you know, I feel like I'm parroting myself, but as product people, we're in the center of a lot. And a lot of times stakeholders are not just on our engineering teams. You get a lot of pressure from marketing or sales or even the executive leadership teams that the product has to perform a certain way or has to execute on a certain agenda. And a lot of times having those preemptive conversations on what does success actually look like for you and your department, for you and your teams, so that as you look at the holistic view of what you're actually doing and building, that you're actually getting success not just for you. So you can look back and say, hey, like my team did it. But you can go back and say, we enabled the rest of our teams to succeed as well. You guys stole my point. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, but look, it, get started, like define outcomes. But from there on, actually build upon that. Do iteration and throw away data. So like, you know, most of the data which you're collecting, most of the insights which you have, things are changing so fast that they're valid for three months, six months. And, you know, you, you, you don't want to be relying on stale metrics. And, and, you know, once you collect a lot of data, that's when you start to get into this analysis, paralysis kind of a mode. So I would say pay attention to pruning of the data, insights, whatever you have you're working with. Yeah. And I think also a theme that's been coming up is like, make sure you're answering the right questions. I think we can get extremely efficient and data-driven on the surface, answering questions that don't actually matter that much to building great products for our end users. So, you know, make sure you're asking the questions that really matter. All right, so I'm going to try to learn how to use this iPad here for the Q&A. I know we have some great audience questions that have come up. Um, oh, here's a great one. Has data ever misled you? And if yes, what was the impact? Does anybody want to take that one? I'm going to try not to throw anybody under the bus with this one. Um, I would say that a lot of times 
when you do, for us, we weren't a SaaS tool, we were on-prem. And so we would do a lot of usability testing, which I think a lot of people do and a lot of people leverage. And there's a lot of good insight, uh, particularly some pretty nice tools that can help when you look at user workflows. But it is very easy to lose sight of who you're actually getting to do that usability testing and what their unique personas are so that if you try to get a bunch of very technical users to use a tool and you change it to suit them, the average citizen user is going to have a really hard time. And I think definitely we had a scenario where we would do usability testing and we would focus on the wrong group of people. And we found out a couple months later that we did not choose the right path. So I think that's definitely one of the dangers that you can run into. I can't think of any times data has led me the wrong way. Your experience is unusual. <laughs> Maybe I'm not looking deep enough. Kartik. I, I can give two. I use data to invest and it's not working out. <laughs> um, but like that, that startup incident which I told you about like where it, it made me question the wisdom of what we were doing because we were not asking the right questions and the data was saying maybe our hypothesis was wrong and you know we were on to a wrong path uh, so that was a serious miscalculation for us for like about six to nine months till we course corrected and and we said that the data was not right yeah, yeah. I think understanding like the why behind the data the, and the trends that you see and so is so important. So I think one thing that can be really helpful is uh, combining what you see in the quantitative data with UX research. So make sure because if you see a trend and you think I can build a product to fix that trend, that assumes some hy- hypothesis of what the problem is, and it's always better to get some call and speak to users and be like, I've seen this trend. What might it be? And then you get some better sense of why. And I think it's easier. To avoid being misled. What's better, data-driven solutions or data-informed solutions? And I'm, how do you I'm a you fan of data-informed. I don't want data blindly driving the, the decisions we're making. Sometimes we make decisions that go against the data. That's how you innovate. That's how you break trends. That's how you create something that's new. Um, so I say informed. Anyone to take the opposite opinion? It's going to be a hard no. Um, I, I think data-informed is the way I would go, particularly because I think, again, when you look at, like, I'll take some of my engineers, for example, they'll have really strong opinions about architecturally what makes sense for us to do first. And when we look at, you know, revenue for feature requests for different customers, that would tell a whole different story. So the data would inform us that we should tackle these features or these enhancements that customers want. But for the longevity of the platform, it makes more sense to take care of the architecture up front and then shift gears and actually enhance it. And so I think that's one of those where you kind of have to do a quick pro-con on that and see which is you know right for you and your stakeholders. But yeah, I, I would go informed over driven. Yeah. Well, and our time is up, but I think that's the point. I mean, there's no one-size-fits-all situation and different products are different. And I think... I think that's where the role of product leaders is so important also kind of to set culturally how we use data and how we use it in healthy ways within our organization. So thank you so, so much to these wonderful panelists and thank you all. Thanks for listening to the product podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you would rate and review us on Apple podcasts. Taking the time to write just a few sentences about what you love most about the show will help us improve it and reach even more product people around the world. And when you're done, why not reward yourself with some free product management content and resources over at productschool.com? 
Until next time, stay product-led.